As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me a very special guest, the father of my only child, my ex-husband, the good doctor, Anthony Lyon. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So Tony comes and stays with us one week of every month visiting his child. We always love to have Tony around. He's a master chef on the grill. He's one of the kindest humans I've ever known. He's forever family. He is super, super close with James, my now boyfriend of many years. And my best friends will forever love Tony. And any one of you who are listening, you know how much you love him. So Tony's a doctor. And it dawned on me during this visit that mainly because I am surrounded by both sides. I have friends on both sides of the spectrum. I have friends who believe wholeheartedly in science and vaccinations and medical wisdom. And I also have friends on the completely opposite end of the spectrum who believe in anti-vaccination initiatives, who firmly believe that This entire pandemic is an utter fraud. I'm fascinated by my friendships with both sides. I refuse to let go of any of them as friends, but I also am very interested in learning at all times. And what Tony brings to the table, my dear Anthony, is direct experience in emergency rooms, in the state of New York, with COVID, over the last almost year, we're recording this at the end of January in 2021, and I feel that this is uh, an imperative to get out as soon as I can to you. And what I've learned from him is vast and real and direct. I will start by saying the things that I remember, which are The tales of him early in the pandemic, standing at the bedside of somebody who's dying, holding their phone so that their family could say goodbye over FaceTime. That is indelibly imprinted in my mind. Um, Hearing you talk about, Tony, the fact that ventilator pretty much means the person's going to die after a certain period of time. Um... I have a list of a few things, but I I, I would like to start there with the patients that you're seeing, not just the ones with comorbidities, but the one that you just described to us yesterday, the 26-year-old picture of health male 
who died after whatever it was, a few days. Tell us a little bit about this first. Or in, in that type of situation, as, as far as we know. Yeah. So many 26-year-olds don't go to the doctor regularly, and if they're feeling fine, why would they need to go to a doctor? Right. So maybe he did, but the fact of the matter is is that we had a otherwise, as far as we know, healthy 26-year-old going about his life who is now no longer here. Uh, there's, ma- there's many different stories, and this affects many people in many different ways. Mm. Um, I think my main purpose is I, th- I really want to pick up on something you said, which is we yes. should never stop learning. And I think we all have to understand that. So what would be the most difficult thing for somebody to say to me? The most difficult thing for, for somebody to say to me is Donald Trump was an incredible president. <laughs> now, I'm emotional. Now we know so where Dr. Be, Tony stands. I have to be very careful because I'm emotional about it. Yeah, so we, and we also have to understand that most of our mind, most of our brain is gray matter which is involved in our survival instinct. However, I owe it to myself and I owe it to that person to at least state their case. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that's most troubling about what's happening now is we have very, very little that is based in data and based in truth. And we have a lot that's based in emotion and stories. So the other thing that I can actually contribute is when I was five years old, my parents separated. It was horrific for me. It was the worst possible thing that could happen to me. So I, I didn't conc- know you were five. I was five. I thought you were older. <clears throat> so my mind went to let me create a story that will allow something to be terrible for me to allow to or allow myself to contend with this. So the story I came up with is uh, those were not my parents. <gasps> but my parents had been kidnapped and they were downstairs. And at some point, these were some sort of people that were installed. And at some point, my parents would really emerge. So this, that's a story that my, ma- my mind concocted in order for me to deal with an extremely challenging situation, especially ones in which we have emotions uh, attached to them. Right. The word vaccination tends to make people emotional. All I can tell you is as a physician, it's really more historical than anything else, which is we no longer have children that are dying from smallpox. Polio. So and that's a very interesting one because there was a woman who came in with COVID and she, was, she has what's called post-polio syndrome. And when you see somebody who's 75, 78, maybe 80 years old, and you look at what her life has been like. Right. And to realize you would never want anybody else to go through that. Is this an error-free program? No. But... We have gotten to a point where we no longer have children who are babies that die from communicable diseases because mm-hmm. of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Measles and mumps are not something that you want to play around with. Yeah, for the most part, they're fine. But how could you ever look at yourself in the mirror and say, maybe there was something that we had available that would have avoided this child going through mortality, which is death, and then significant morbidity. So post-polio syndrome brings with it a ton of morbidity. This woman never moved in a fashion that she probably could ever, you know, would have normally have moved. Mm -hmm. So when you see these things, it makes you just, again, want to base what my recommendations would be, which is in data and truth and science, uh, which probably brings us to where we are now. So when we talk about COVID, I think the other experience that I could relay is being at visiting here, Santa Fe, mm-hmm. and being at 7,500 
feet elevation. There have been a couple of times where I've pushed myself to the point where I could not breathe, and that was momentarily. Right. It, it triggers an extraordinary sense of anxiety. Fight or flight. To you cannot move. So whatever I was doing, let's say I was on a bike, you have to stop it immediately and catch your breath for fear that you are going to die. Right. These people, from the time I see them in the morning at 7 a.m. to the time where I leave at 7 p.m. and all night when I'm not in the hospital are breathing at a rate of 35, 40, 50 times a minute. They are literally going through day and night with a sensation that I've only experienced for seconds. Oh, my God. To where you just can't feel, you don't feel like you're getting enough air. You don't feel like you're getting enough oxygen. It's one of the most difficult things to watch. And we still don't have anything except for high levels of oxygen to help these people. And many times that fails. So, so when we talk about it, all, all the has not been very effective. Has not been very effective. Is there any effective treatment? That not you right know now. About? No. And this is I've again. This is after. Have there been people that have done well? Yes. So we've probably gotten lucky for that specific person. Mm-hmm. We caught them at a specific time, where they received a specific treatment and right. they did well. We don't know what that looks like. Still, right. we're still too early. So we have certain things I think that have helped very that have helped people, but it has been random. So most of the people that I see have gotten remdesivir, convalescent plasma, steroids, and I have not seen them be very effective. Is there a difference when somebody comes to you early in the diagnosis? It tends to be better. How the so? longer the longer they wait to come into the hospital, the worse at that point. So they have probably gotten point past the point. Mm-hmm. where any of those IV therapies are going to help, whether it's IV remdesivir, IV steroids, they have gotten past the point where those are going to be effective. Unfortunately, wow. by that time, the virus is high. We really feel like it's, and if you look at some of the research coming out of Johns Hopkins, they feel like the virus is basically pressed on the gas pedal of the immune system mm. to where the immune system cannot apply the brake. And the problem with that is is when you have an overactive immune system, it is filling the lungs with fluid that -hmm. will not allow the carbon dioxide to diffuse out of the lungs so people can blow it out. And it does not allow the oxygen, no matter how much you put in, to diffuse from the lung into the blood. Just, and you have to imagine the, the, the problem with smoking is it, it ruins the tissue of the lung, which is like tissue paper. That oxygen and carbon dioxide has to diffuse across an extraordinarily thin level of tissue. If you coat that tissue with mm. fluid, you have no chance. So actually people develop what's called ARDS, which is Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome. If you look up ARDS, the mortality rate is extraordinarily high, and the treatments we have for that are extraordinarily ineffective. Wow. So that's what, that's what this virus causes. For the, for the severe cases, it causes ARDS, where the lungs are filling up with a fluid and that does not allow us to oxygenate them. They literally suffocate. This is the hardest part, and I think this is something that you've mentioned before, watching somebody suffocate in bed in front of you is something, it's changed you, what I can see. Uh, it's allowed me to double down on the fact that I, I'm entrusted with someone's life, that yes. my responsibility is huge. And really all I can offer them is very small things. So for these people, I've helped them drink. I've helped them go to the bathroom. 
because they are tied to the wall in order to maintain connection with oxygen. Of course. They're getting oxygen rammed down their throat, so their pharynx and their larynx gets dried out to the point that they cannot eat. <laughs> so what do they do? They sit there in bed. They, can't, you know, they cannot drink without your help. <laughs> Hopefully you can have them drink if they can actually maintain enough oxygen with the mask being off. You help them have something to drink, and you help them go to the bathroom. Yeah. Because basically what we have at this point is patience, time, and oxygen. And hopefully the person who's going through it has the mental fortitude to realize that they are going to be on that level of oxygen for weeks. We routinely have patients who are in the hospital on high levels of oxygen for three, four, five, six weeks. We've never seen anything like that. And when the person recovers after those five weeks, is that rare or is that something that you see often? Um, the numbers are not great. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to speak to, I don't have the actual numbers. So from the hospital where I, where I practice every day, we know exactly how many patients have been discharged. So some of them are also coming back, which, which complicates it a little bit. Wow. So I don't know if that's a pure um, recovery. Right. And we still don't know. We still don't know. We're early in a process where actually we were on a walk today. I was describing that someone yeah. who had had COVID in March came of back 2020. to the 2020. 2020. Yep. Sorry. March of 2020, they had COVID, one of the early, uh, cases. early cases. And now they're in the hospital in January. And we can still see on their x-ray signs of COVID. So <sighs> that's troubling. It's very troubling. Right. So we don't even really know what the... Long longer term. yeah i don't even want to see long term because we're still we don't even know what the longer term effects are going to be wow this which is i think which i think which i think sort of gets us back to one common place which is why i want to avoid coming i want to avoid the perception that i am behind one thing or another right which is at the end of the day this is the situation these are the cards we've been dealt and this is the situation we are in all I can tell you is that if this was a different virus, the mortality rate would be much higher, like Ebola. Mm. The it's to go in to see one patient, you have to completely gown up and and get rid of your gown, which is a very time-consuming process. It leads to much more death. In this, we have something that we've learned that sort of functions like TB. It's very transmissible through the air. TB is tuberculosis. Yeah, sorry, tuberculosis. So that, so in my opinion, thankfully, we have two things that we can use to combat this situation. When we have a highly communicable disease that's transmitted through the air, we need to use a mask, which has not been produced. The correct mask has not been produced at the numbers which it needs to be produced, which is an N95 mask. Biden's making that happen now. That would be I just, great. I just read about it yesterday. So if we are going to mask, let's at least give people the proper tool. Okay. And the only other thing that we have right now is the vaccine. So I want to get to a place where, and I think it's pretty incredible because I think if you, going back to March, I think we were all, ah, you know what, this is going to be a three-month process. Tops. And then we'll have to wait and see what happens. Right. We're, you know, this is this is extended out. We're going on a year. And I think that there are a, a number of people, and this is just human nature, who are pretty much finished. 
yeah. they're ready to be done with this. So that's also that's also going to be a challenge to driving this to a zero. My main purpose of coming on the podcast tonight is yes to share a little bit of my experience, yeah. um, but also to just recommend that let's do whatever we can um, to drive this to a zero. Re wearing the proper mask and vaccination is where we are at. And if there was something else to offer, I would say go do that. But we don't. I think that when I was when we were a couple of months into this, the thing, the question I kept asking myself is, especially living in Manhattan, Manhattan cannot exist unless people were right on top of each other. That's right. It's the only way to exist. So we have a easily transmissible disease in a place where we have to be on top of each other. We need people to come back together. Zoom has been great, and maybe this will change the way people work. We won't have to deal with the uh, extraordinary long hours of commute and the traffic, all that, that'll be great. But on some level, people need to come together. How do you do that effectively? You give people a mask and you do whatever you can to make sure that you don't unwittingly give it to somebody else. Mm. And that's the mask. And then you protect yourself and you protect somebody who you would never want to give it to. Yeah. And that's by getting the vaccine. When it comes to the N95 versus just the blue surgical mask, can you teach us a little bit about what the differences are there? Sure. It just comes down to the size of the particle. And the N95, the N95 is not perfect either, but it just, it just speaks to the size of the particle. COVID virus is tiny. Mm -hmm. So sure, a surgical mask is helpful. Um, if, if we were both masked up mm -hmm. to the fullest extent, we would be in an N95 in a room like this because it's going to cut down the most on me both transmitting it to you mm -hmm. and me receiving it. Mm -hmm. A surgical mask will definitely cut down on my ability to transmit it to you. It's not so effective in you not, not contracting it. it. It's, just, it's just the size of the particle is too small. It's going <laughs> to slip into a surgical mask or skip, slip through a surgical mask. It's just too small. So practical question and personal also, the kid, our kid, is now in a situation with school where it's hybrid. Grades 7, 8 go one week, grades 9 and 10 go the next week, grades 11, 12 go the third week, and then they cycle again. Where normally six grades would be in one school, they only have two grades any given week. Do we have to send him with an N95 or can we just send him with the surgical mask? Cause he went with the surgical cause the N95 is not cool. There's no easy answer to that. I know. I, again, in any situation where you have people who are sharing a common space indoors, the N95 is the way to go. Got it. We don't even, I don't even think that the resources exist at this moment anyway. Thankfully, we know that college kids and we college students, we know that grade age kids and, and kids in high school, they're all passing it along. My bigger concern is uh, the teachers that are there. And the so elders. At least, at least start there. Right. So the teachers that are there are a big priority. And then who the kids are going home to. Right. You know, it's not common, but I'm sure there are some kids no, who are I going. Know, I know grandparents who are living with Okay, these. there you go. Yeah. So in, in three generation homes, that's Oof. that's the big that's the big concern. So... If you think about it, again, how do I take a situation and have the most uh, the most potential to impact it? It would actually be protecting grandma. Right. So it's it's highly unlikely that you're going to get a 13, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old to keep an N95 all, on all day. 
But when grandma is in the shared space with that 13-year-old, grandma should have an N95. It's going to protect her. And when I go into a room with somebody who I know has TB, I'm wearing the mask. Sure. When Johnny comes home and is 13 years old, grandma should have the mask. Got it. It dawns on me that Jonah is wearing one of those Day D apostrophe A-I-R-E, which is an N95 style mask. Whatever, whatever is closest to a true N95 would be great. Yeah. I think the last thing, and I don't want to keep you for much longer, but the last thing I would say is I would love for you to speak to the people who theorize that the pandemic is not real, who theorize that the virus isn't transmissible, I'm surrounded by people who really firmly believe this, who have no idea what you have seen in front of your own eyes over the last 11 months. Do you have a message for them? Well, I just think that when there's so much that's usually left to chance, if somebody somebody witnesses an event or 10 people witness an event, you're going to get 10 different stories of that event, Mm -hmm. right? They're Mm -hmm. going to recollect it differently. Mm Mm-hmm. We know how many people died. Mm. You just can't fudge it. You can't fake it. And it's probably under the amount. Nobody wants to pull up a refrigerated 18-wheeler and put body bags in there. It's not something that can be faked right? or fudged. We know what the numbers are. So I don't really, beyond that, I don't really know what to say as far as people not thinking it's real. Um, as far as it not being transmissible... We know it's extraordinarily transmissible because if you, if you take this space, that's fine, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you take a, you take a, uh, We're in a, a high school room, a, in or my you house. take a high school gymnasium. Sure. And nobody's there. There's no COVID there. Right. <laughs> so let's say you tested a bunch of people before they went in, in a fashion that was actually intelligent, and they were all negative. And then you put them in that gymnasium with some people who you didn't test. Mm. Those people, there's going to be some people that come out of that gymnasium who are now positive. How did that happen? I'm not all that bright. But, I mean, it's just, it's just the power of deduction. It's just being logical. Yes. We know that somebody who walked in there who was a true negative and came out of that space positive, the only way they could have gotten it would have been to be transmitted through the air. And I think that... As far as as far as it not, you know, and then and then, again, the I, I just take it back to my own experience, which is, when confronted with something awful, yeah, which that, that that's exactly what this is, but not, I mean, it's not, it's un, it's unprecedented for us, but it's not unprecedented in the world. Spanish flu knocked out a ton of people. We've had plagues that have knocked out tons of people. This is not unprecedented in the history of the world. It's unprecedented in our history. In our lifetimes. In our lifetimes. But, you know, the Spanish flu was not all that long ago in the grand scheme of history. Right. So we, this is this is not something that is just completely new. It's new for us. Right. So when confronted with a really challenging thing to digest, our mind is going to go to, what is, what is an explanation that will allow me to wrap my mind around this in a way that's easy for me? And so, yeah, you can come up with this story about this person. I've heard things about Fauci. I've heard it about Bill Gates. Mm. To what end would somebody like Bill Gates have to want to invent a virus or to, to put something out there 
that would cause this amount of human suffering and death. That is not who that person is. Yeah. So maybe just think about this is a very, very difficult situation to contend with. What actually, what more effective ways can we come up with for trying to wrap our minds around it and realize that our minds, that's how our minds function. We all, our minds are going to allow us to survive. And so coming up with this story or that story that makes us more digestible is natural, but I think we got to get to a different place. Right. I appreciate that perspective so much. And um, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, allow me to share my experience and hopefully, you know, some people will get enlightened. Yeah. I feel I feel like there are a lot of folks who have they've had this sort of dopamine hit finding quote unquote finding out information about all of these falsehoods that are being circulated. The dopamine hit becomes an addiction. YouTube feeds them yet another algorithmic match of a video and they feel like they're finding things out. They're figuring it out and perpetuating lies while my son's father here is working in the hospital tirelessly six, seven days a week to help people at least feel comfortable on their way out of this life. And I just... Let me jump in there for one second because I think that... As much of these other themes and issues that have come up, the thing that has struck me the most mm. is the level of camaraderie that have come out of um, that has come out of this situation. The wow. level of gratitude where we had all of EMS showing up outside the hospital and putting on you know, putting on one of those shows where they were all honking their horns. Tell my listener what EMS is. I'm sorry, emergency medical services. Whether we had the fire crews out there, we had the EMTs out there, the ambulances out there, we had. And they would all park in front of the hospital? Oh, yeah. We had a, the, would... the, the whole hospital was lined with them and the tow truck guys, all, all, all you know, just get, expressing their gratitude. I have, I have a video of it. And it's just to come out after working 12 hours and, and to, to feel that, that gratitude, it just, mm-hmm. it just really warmed your heart. So there's been some really great things that have come out of this. So when you say searching for the truth, I think this really allows us to search – each one of us needs to search our own truth, which is instead of putting your effort and your energy there, figure out a way to help. What can you do to help? Because there's going to be not only now, but downstream from this, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to need something and there's going to be solutions to problems that we probably don't have right now. Let's figure those out and make sure that the people who've been profoundly affected by this aren't destroyed by it. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you to my listener for listening. And I think Dr. Anthony Lyon will return at some point later in the future. Anytime. Thank you so much.
Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity. The conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.